making a good video game by Christians isn't going to change the world. It's just not. But but making thousands or at least hundreds of people who have that kind of ethos, um, that really could. This is the Humans of Gaming podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm Drew Dixon. I'm the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd, and I'm joined by Chris Gwaltney. Hey, Chris. Hey, it's me, Chris, and I am chief executive nerd for Love Thy Nerd, and uh, you're here for Humans of Gaming. This is where we get to talk to people in the games industry about all sorts of things, but really what we want to do is dig down and hear about who they are as people, because we believe that their identity is not just in the things that they create, but in the stories and experiences that shape them. So we want to hear about those things. So this week we have a really cool guest, someone Chris and I have gotten to hang out with actually in person uh, mm-hmm. before and have kind of developed a, a friendship with. So it was really cool. Chris Skaggs is yeah. the, what is his official title at SOMA? I mean, he kind of started SOMA, but I forget what he said his official title is. Chief Boss Bro. I think Chief Boss Bro. That yeah. was pretty much it, word for word. Yeah, yeah. Most notably, recently they landed the contract to do a, a bunch of games for um, Redwall. Redwall, and <laughs> <laughs> doing great. Yeah, I blanked on it. Yeah, the Redwall games. So yeah, which um, are those super you know adorable books about mice and little furry creatures, but like in a fantasy setting. And they're from like the 90s, right? I think that's when they were... We talk about it in the show. Yeah, and uh, Chris has been making games for a long time with Soma. They've been at it for a while, and they have a, a really unique approach, I think, to the way they make games. And um, a really also, I think, just a, are striving to create a healthy studio culture around what does it look like to make games in a way that doesn't damage Suck. the people who make them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a big problem in the games industry today with sort of yeah. games companies. That's a, I, I say it's a big problem in the games industry. I think it's a problem in all industries. It's just worse maybe in gaming just because gaming is such a... The demand. Yeah. There's such a demand. Yeah. It's such a profitable space. There's so much money to be made in games right. that uh, there's a high temptation to to exploit the people that make them. And uh, they're really trying to fight against that while still making rad games. There's a lot of really good learnings, maybe weirdly for this podcast, but there's a lot of good learning about like creating good culture, like creating good company culture, work culture. Like I'm even sitting there, you know, taking notes and thinking, you know, how do we create this kind of culture with Love Thy Nerd? Like with the people that work with us or volunteer with us or, you know, anything else in between. Like it was just, yeah, it was a lot of really cool, cool stuff. He's a neat guy. So Chris, how's life? How's life? 2021 is off to a start. I like that answer. To a start. It has begun. What was the meme I saw that it's uh, happy December 60th, 2020? But I don't know. I mean, okay, so to the question, I guess, like, honestly, for me, 2020 had a had a legit end in, in, in a real sense that at work, we, you know, we had this big milestone for us, at which was basically the end of the year. And we took two weeks off. And, and, and that really was a nice hard reset. And, and so honestly, for me, for January, we've had, we've had room to breathe. No one's rushing anything. And honestly, it feels good. And so it's, it's pretty easy to kind of look around and say, yeah, the world's still just as weird. But, but personally, actually, it's, it's got off to a, a smoother start. I don't know if I want to say that it feels like normal. I mean, does, if that word even exists anymore, but, uh, but it feels a lot more peaceful. I'll tell you that. And that's, that's pretty, pretty glad for that. That's good. Rub that one in our faces. Why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed that like if I stay off of Twitter and also don't watch the news uh, for a while, then it feels like things are really smooth, you know? Isn't that weird? Like, <laughs> this agitating thing. Hey, man, yeah. that guy in the Matrix, he was on to something when he was eating that steak and he just says, ignorance is bliss. Exactly. Mm. Especially a- when you go to uh, like... Was they, what do they call it? Zion? Wasn't that what they called the mm-hmm. real world? 
yeah. uh, the city. And then you go there and it's like, man, this place is a crap hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to live here? Yeah. Uh, there was a there was an article in the Atlantic just the other day, and they the the article the headline was something like uh, Facebook is a doomsday machine, right? Was it and and it's like only the most recent and kind of most uh, strongly pointed uh, uh, kind of objection to the whole social media. But I got to tell you, like it's a really interesting article. I'd, I'd recommend checking it out. And at the heart of her thing is like going back to you know Doctor Strangelove, the idea that of devices like like the old 60s doomsday machine that did not have the human interaction that gave it morality and purpose it just had this goal and, and it does its goal really well and it's the unintended consequences right of, of of mega scale right so now i've got billions of people i'm algorithmically deciding what they get to see and no one wanted it to be what it is it just it, it sort of happened that way accidentally and that makes it really an existential threat that's the case she's making it's it's a good article did had you have you seen the social dilemma Mm-hmm. that's definitely worth watching. You know, and it's interesting, like it didn't, I don't think it told me anything I didn't already know, but what what's great about that documentary is that it forces you to, um, to sort of like reckon with, Deal with it. what social media is doing to us. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, and, and, and it's, and it's not just social media. Well, it's all sorts of things that we don't think of as social media. It's YouTube. It's, um, you know, like when you click on a YouTube video or search for a YouTube video or, or get on YouTube in general, like there's a lot of things going on that you don't realize are going on that are influencing whether you realize it or not, how you see the world and um, how you're how you're experiencing life in the world, I think. Oh, yeah. In a way that's kind of like terrifying if you <laughs> if you think about it in some ways, you know. There was a, there was a guy in that who was talking about um, how as a, as a point of, of – uh, of conflict, how like what if you went to Wikipedia and everybody saw a different article because based on their mm-hmm. preferences or whatever or the location? And when he put it that way, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I never really even thought about how destructive and insidious that is." Because you, if you realize mm-hmm. that the the person next to you, even people who have a lot of overlapping interests and friends, like even even that, they see an entirely different world than you do, and it's designed that way. And so yep. you start to look out and you're like, "How are those people believing X?" Right? And it's probably because. I mean, maybe it's larger because they have literally been fed that, and and that's different from what you've been fed. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, this light bulb goes on. It's like that's super not healthy. Something like kind of related to this idea. You just made reminded me of this a while back. Um, I I would assume they're still on Netflix, but Netflix did these decades um, series where they would. It was, you know, like the 60s and there was like, you know, however many episodes just all about the 60s and pop culture and history stuff and government stuff, like just, you know, a a snapshot of the 60s and then 70s, 80s. And I forget which decade it was, if it was 60s or 70s, but there was a an episode or maybe even a few episodes about the news and how, you know, we got into this like 24 hour news cycle thing that we're in now. And basically what it talked about was literally the monetization of news and how it turned from this like, you know, mostly unbiased, just kind of like sharing the facts, like what happened and turned into profit, like a for-profit business basically. And how that changed um, the whole industry and really is probably why we have what we have today where it's like the end of the day, um, these companies have to make money, you know, and Mm -hmm. certain things make more money than other things. Certain things get more, uh, (laughs) more views, more likes, more engagement than other kinds of things. And, And even the way you report things, right? Like the sensationalism or the, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's, you know, I, I go wild. deeper though. Isn't, isn't advertising really, I think that it's the driver of this thing because advertising becomes the monetization path for everything. If it weren't for advertising, you wouldn't have 24 hour news because they're competing over, you know, you think about the fifties the, the news show and it was, you get like two commercial breaks, right? Like there's tide and there's tide, right? Like <laughs> that's kind of good. Mm-hmm. But now everyone, there's, everyone's, Everyone lives and dies on advertising, and and uh, and they are that that whole thing now is like we just need to get a gazillion eyeballs because one one hundredth of one percent of a gazillion is, <laughs> is profit, yeah. you know. And you're and you're in this really weird thing. It, it reminds me of like why do spammers exist? Like what do they get out of that? 
But like, what the heck do they get out of that? Just for like these these yeah. random emails that don't mean anything? Do they actually make any money? Like, what is going on? Dude, I saw a, uh, I'm not on TikTok, but like sometimes I'll see TikTok videos on Facebook or other places. And there's this group of, I'm sure there's lots of them, but there's this one group of, I mean, they're kids, you know, they're in their teens, I'm sure. And they just do all these goofy, like, uh, they're almost like minute to win it challenge kind of things, but it's in like this really quick, like TikToky, snappy kind of way. Um, but they have tons of like, they use Doritos and, you know, Pepsi and like all these branded things. And I'm like, and you know, they've got millions of views and all these different things. I'm like, these people are definitely sponsored by the stuff and they just find any way possible to, to advertise. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's interesting too, that, um, like I think back to it, the way Facebook started, you know, at first it was like, you had to know somebody that could get you in oh, to yeah. Facebook <laughs> yeah. or you had to have yeah. a college. Uh, it was only college at first. Like, that yeah, you it. had to have like a college email. Yeah. Like you couldn't use yeah. just any old email, man. I mean, like I think Mark Zuckerberg totally knew what he was doing. Like he got us hooked into it. And then he's like, at once everybody's like fully invested in Facebook then he's like, "All right, let's bring the let's bring the marketers in," <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, basically, that's a parable for all of life. I think. Yeah. Um, we we figure out how to get our hooks deep into people, and then 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 we press play on the matrix. Exactly. Um, so, <laughs> Chris, Chris Gags, fellow Chris, um, first first Chris, you are the <laughs> uh, yeah. The head head boss bro for Soma Games. I think that's your official title, right? I think it's head boss bro, yeah. Uh, it was a change of title when I used to be like Supreme Master of Time and Space, but that was seen to be a little bit insensitive. Mm, I, <laughs> I could see that. I could see that. <laughs> what up, my nerds? We here at Love Thy Nerd are beyond honored that you let our podcast blast in your earbuds each week. But we're also a jealous ministry who wants even more of your love and devotion. If you haven't made LTN Radio a part of your daily routine yet, you are missing out. Not only do you get to hear our exclusive morning shows, Church Nerds and the Macro Morning Show, before they are put on the website, but you also get radio-exclusive shows like Bible Thump with Drew Dixon, LTN Rewind, Faith and Fandom 180 with Hector Mirai, The Moment with Megan Mo Oaks, Nerd History, Nerdy Definitions, This Week in Nerdy News, and our LTN specials as well. And on top of all that, the rest of our airtime is jam-packed with the absolute best mix of Christian rock, rap, pop, and indie that is hand-curated by Love Thy Nerd just for you. Give us a listen at ltnonair.com or download the Live 365 app on your smartphone to search and favorite LTN Radio. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the show. So, yeah, tell us about Soma. Uh, Soma Games started in like on paper in 2005, and uh, and to be really honest, it was for me it was a supernatural chain of events that I I view and always have viewed as where I wasn't really volunteering for this job. I was sort of drafted, mm. and uh, and and there's I I can tell the long story, but it's a long story. Um, the bottom line is over over a couple of days, I was suddenly introduced to that Christian gaming was even a thing. Um, then became um, it, with the Christian Game Developers Conference, got got connected there, and next thing you know, I'm on TV trying to represent the entire quote Christian game industry, um, which, to be clear, includes not just people making Bible games, but basically Christians who are making indie games. Yeah, yeah. Um, Where and, were uh, you on TV? Was that because you're up in the Northwest? Yeah, so this was actually a show out in Boston, and uh, and what what happened is this was right when the the infamous hot coffee mod story was going on with Grand Theft Auto. Oh uh, yeah, and, uh, and so it was all over the for, news. Uh, and... For Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, right? Correct. What was yeah. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Explain. What? So uh, so the story was that there was this hidden pornographic scene in the game, and if you you know I don't remember what you know this code this code or whatever. Oh whatever. yeah, okay. Now I'm kind of remembering it's, this. And so all of a sudden, like it was this this giant thing, and Congress got involved, and Hillary Clinton was shaking her fist, and Sony pulled it from the shelves. It was a big brouhaha. Um, and so right in the middle of that was when you know I'm, I'm reading some of these stories 
in the in the news and there's a sidebar that's like hey if you if you like games maybe that aren't about stealing cars and beating up hookers there's these christian gamers right so that's cool too and uh and that's kind of how i got involved and and uh and the next thing you knew um i'm on tv and so it was the kind of thing where it was very it was very providential it was very unexpected and i literally had not thought about this as a as a thing until like four days ahead of that and all of a sudden i I'm in this case, and it was wow. it was a remarkable experience for me. And there's there's a, a lot more to it um, about how all of that happened without me doing anything. I was just like God just said, you should do this thing, and 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 then mm. all these other people they 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 paid for the plane tickets, um, they, they paid for all, like like everything else came together without me mm. doing it. Anyways, it was it was quite a remarkable experience. Did you have? I mean, prior to that, like, were you? Had you made games? Were you, did you have that kind of developer side or the creative side? Like, any I generally kind of say no. Out? Yeah, I'll, I generally say no. And the reason why is at the time I was uh, I owned a web development shop, and so we were we were in computers, but not yeah, gaming. Yeah. Sure. But I'll tell you, as I as I've come back to this, I realize that's not entirely true. Because when I was back when I was in high school, um, probably junior high and high school, really computer graphics were pretty new, um, and. Uh, and I want, that's oh, what so I wanted old. to do with my Got life. Yeah. I'm old. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to, to like when it was a flying logo in space felt like, like the pinnacle of rendered images. <laughs> um, and, uh, and back then that's what I wanted to do. Um, I, you know, I, I played a venture construction set on, on EA and this kind of thing. And so in a way I, I really was in gaming. My, my buddies and I made a, a text adventure game along kind of the paths of what Scott Adams used to do. And so I, I really was making games back then, but it wasn't, it was just a hobby. It was a thing that I did. Um, there's a fun story though, about how I lost my dreams is uh, I got out of high school and I thought, let's, let's do computer graphics. That'll be my, my major, right? I'll, I'll go into this field. And it's literally my first day at college and you're, you're just meeting people in the cafeteria. And so some random person sits down and we're, you know, hi, I'm Chris. Hi, I'm Dave. And, uh, and eventually I get around to telling him, Hey, I want to get into computer graphics. And I swear, like without blinking or pausing, he just says, that's got to be the most tedious, horrible job I can imagine. Oh, I got to go. Huh. <laughs> See you later. And, and, and I'm like, oh, no. And I, I suddenly realized that I had no idea what I was getting into. I didn't know what was involved. I, I just realized that I had gone into this totally like, like, like sheep to the slaughter. Right? And I, I totally lost my dream. I, I stopped. Like that one day I changed my major. I wow. floundered. I, I wandered around and joined the Navy, which by the way turned out to be really good. But, but there was like mm -hmm. 20 years in there where I just had no thought of this. And it was fairly recently that it felt like God came back and says, do you even remember that this is where you started? And I, I had to be like, no, I'd forgotten all of that. Wow, so cool. yeah, so there you go. But anyway, so, so Soma Games sort of started in that way in 2005. We wrote our first code in 2008. Um, that's when the iPhone came out and you could, you could make a game for, for less than a million dollars. And, uh, and that really started kind of where some of the games came. And so now we, uh, now we're, we're continuing to make games. We've done some hundreds of mobile games and console games. And we just recently kind of uh, finished our work on the big Red Ball franchise, which has been a blast. So that project is complete. It is complete from the production side. Now we have to actually okay. sell it. So <laughs> that becomes the next big step. Yeah. So you did all the easy stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Piece of cake. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a walk from here. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that, uh, that gig. Like where, how many Redwall games have you guys made now? I want to say. And what is Redwall? Yeah, sure. Um, gosh, if you don't know Redwall, you're kind of sleeping. So Redwall is a series of books Um it's about mice with swords and they have adventures and not just mice, but it's all these other critters. And so these anthropomorphic animals who, uh, who live in kind of a medieval world and they have adventures. And so they're just wonderful books kind of aimed at the, the young yeah, adults. It was like a book series from, yeah, it was like the nineties or like, yep. The nineties. Exactly. Um, okay. and, and if you don't, it, it's one of these places where if you know Redwall, like it was, it was a big deal. If you don't know Redwall, like you've never heard of it. So there's this really interesting black and white kind of thing. Yeah. But it's sold like 35 million copies. It's some of the best-selling books ever. Um, and uh, But it's never been into games or anything. And so it was it was just these novels, which were really successful. Well, we got involved because back in 2011, maybe it was 2010, but, but right around there, um, 
kind of a friend of a friend called us and and he had acquired uh, the rights to, to make the movie. Uh, in fact, he'd required a bunch of rights, uh, I think to do a master license. And he asked us if we could make like this small little mobile game just to support what else he was doing. And that's how we first got involved. Mm-hmm. Um, funny thing was, was, you know, I had this call with this gentleman um, but at the time I had never heard of Redwall either. And I, and, and right now it was just sort of fishing, right? It's like, could you do this thing? Yeah, we could probably do this thing. All right, I'll get back to you later. Um, but that night my, uh, my business partner, Joan Berkowitz had had a dream in which we were working on a big Redwall game. Now he, he wasn't part of that call. Um, so it's just a fun little kind of like, he has this dream and he calls me and says, are we working on a game with this? And I said, it's funny. Yeah. You should ask. This just happened. And then that exact same day, we we learned this like a week later. That was the day that the author actually passed away. Mm. Um, and so, kind of the hair goes up under our arms. Like, what's okay? That's weird. Like, what's going on here? But next thing you know, is is of course the author's passing through a lot of stuff up into the air, right? All the all the legal stuff. And so there were several years there where no one was really sure what was going to go on um, with with the license and the legal and everything else. Um, this gentleman wind up kind of losing his opportunity to make the movie, but, but we stayed in the, in the mix with games. And, uh, and so we just kept working on these things, um, both as from story and pre-production, all that kind of stuff. And that's really kept us at the center really since 2014, 15, that was the center of our, of our operation. And so we got some investment, um, we made some partners and now I think that we've got uh, basically an episodic console game on, on PC, Xbox and steam. Um, Right now, one of those episodes is live. Two other episodes are coming this year. Um, I should say kind of like promoted more than live, but anyways. Um, and then we've got three mobile games and then even a game on Alexa. So, uh, so we've, oh, stayed, cool. we've stayed pretty busy. <laughs> How does the Alexa game work? So um, you think like a, like a text adventure game um, kind, of, mm-hmm. kind of idea, but here it's just all by voice. And so it, and now it's like interactive radio drama. Right. So, so Alexa will, we recorded all the voiceovers and, and, uh, and Julie's, okay. So you, you get to the tunnel and you want to go left or right and you say, go right. And then it proceeds with a story. So you can play it in your car. You can play it just use your oh, chopping right. onions. It's, uh, I think conceptually it was, it was a really fun idea. Um, I don't think Alexa buyers buy anything. <laughs> it's, it's not putting me those apps sell yeah. a, a darn thing. They just collect information to sell yes. you things on Amazon. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, they're just spying on us to get us to purchase. Yeah, exactly. This week in nerd history, yikes. I know that wasn't a very descriptive intro, but you'll understand what I mean, because back on March 16th in 1994, Cactus Jack, played by Mick Foley, a pro wrestling legend, lost an ear during his match with Big Van Vader when he became entangled in the ropes during a hangman spot. WCW had been using elevator cables wrapped in rubber instead of actual ropes. So when Jack, Mick Foley, was tied up by the head, the circulation had begun to cut off from his brain. When he finally freed himself, two-thirds of his ear was torn loose in the process. The ear was actually picked up by the referee and put on ice, and Foley had surgery to reattach the cartilage to his head so that a full reconstruction would be possible. But even to this day, that ear is a little bit nubby. So, yeah. Yikes! I'm Radio Matt. See you next time for more Uh, What's the... uh... Like, what's the, what are you most proud of that, uh, in this Redwall project? Like what's, um, what are you, you know, what are you most excited about? I want to say it's our team. Our, our team is something that grew from. Oh, what from a good a boss. What exactly. Answer. Right. Oh. But, uh, but as an organization, like we grew from like three people to it's at one point, uh, kind of 30 and, and it was, a, it, it, I should say it is a team that's really cohesive working well and, and doing great work. And I'm, I'm excited about what we can do now. I, I don't, I'm not trying to brag here, but I think in the Christian game space, we're probably the biggest that's mm. out there right now. Um, I think, yeah. and, and we're the longest standing. And so it's so it's a strange little, you know, award to have. You're the longest lasting Christian game company in history, which means, you know, <laughs> which means a couple of years, right? <laughs> it's not a big deal, mm-hmm. but, uh, 
but it's I think that's a cool accomplishment. And we got to work with like this is such a fun IP. Uh, if you don't know the books, like okay. yeah, they're just they're a blast. Okay. So mm-hmm. it, it was really fun. And you can't like episode one right now is live on Steam, right? Correct. Um, in fact, that first episode went live about two years ago. And I think it's fair to say it was kind of our... Yeah, there's access. an interesting story there. Like we had talked before about this a little bit. Yeah. So it was kind of, a, kind of an early access prototype thing. We, For one thing, we expected a lot. We expected the Redwall readers to be our main audience, um, which they have been delightful. Um, but they, But what we didn't expect is how many just gamers would play that didn't have any value for red ball and so they don't yeah and so they don't give us any any passes and so for them it's just gameplay no grace you're getting from those folks (laughs) yeah and uh and so in that regard like the game was just really weak on the i don't want to say really weak we didn't totally flub it but it was it was too weak on the gameplay side and we we had to go back and fix a bunch of stuff which i think that we really have and so really any minute now uh, in fact we're finishing up this this week um we're gonna have a big retrofit of act one that will that will make it consistent with the other acts um, and I'm really looking forward to how that gets received. Yeah. I'm excited to hear about that too. Cause actually this is kind of random, but last night I was, you know, just scrolling through Facebook videos and, um, I was watching a video from some gaming site, something, and they were talking about the, you know, it was a list of the 10 games that were released and kind of like, you know, didn't meet expectations or like people didn't like it or didn't live up to the hype or whatever. But then after, you know, updates or whatever, they just like came back with a vengeance kind of thing. Oh. And it was like really cool to to see like, I mean, prime example for me is No Man's Sky. Like, dude, that game was an absolute disaster when it came out. Like people were just mad. They're sending death threats to the developers, like all this crazy stuff. I'm. Yeah. I don't think you guys got any death threats about episode one, but at not. least I hope not. <laughs> uh, but then, like, I would never you, put it past the gaming community. I wouldn't so. either. Yeah, <laughs> these mice suck, and I'm going to kill you. Um, but now, No Man's Sky. I mean, it's been what four, four years, three mm-hmm. or four years. Like, it is hailed as this just marvel of of game design and like the updates that they put. They could have cut and run. Like they could have just yeah. said, okay, we, we screwed the pooch on that one and we got to just go. Um, but they just stuck with it. They're still doing updates and there was a bunch of other examples too, but I'm excited to see like what happens for you guys. Cause when you told, you know, when we talked before and you told us you were doing that, um, I thought that was really cool. Cause, um, like you guys could have just probably cut and run too, you know, like release the yeah. other two episodes and call it good. Yeah. I think that that's a dishonorable way to go, though, and and not, and for everybody, for the fans, for one thing, but also for your own work. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think about you, everyone here. For, for one thing, it's it's easy to look in hindsight and say, yeah, we got kind of wrapped up in our own in our own vision, right? You you, you can see where you made mistakes and you, you you could have done better, but everyone did it with integrity and honesty. It's just that you missed some pieces. Yeah. Um, but to walk away from something like that and and kind of hope that everyone forgets and try again. It's, I think it would be dishonorable and, and everyone would feel really disappointed. Like, Oh, we suck. Um, <laughs> it's so, and as long as you got the funds for it, that's the trick. You got to have the funds to, to, to keep doing it. Like everyone wants to make the game that they're proud of. Everyone wants to make the experience that, that sort of fulfills the vision that you started with. And so I, and honestly, these days, I think that the money is always in the long tail. And so for no man's sky, like even if you miss day one, like, when you get year three, four, five, like that more than makes up for it. So I think that's also the best economic way to go. Yeah. yeah. And it's an interesting time to be in the industry too. Cause like, you know, live updates and that kind of stuff that didn't exist at one point in time. Yeah. Like your game was your game and you didn't get any do overs. You didn't get any chances to release a day one patch or a day 340 patch or anything, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's just no the gold bits is a non issue anymore, right? There just doesn't happen. <laughs> In fact, do you even know that I term? <laughs> I think there's even too, there's like, uh, there's some, there's been such success in the indie space now. Um, and there's been some, some kind of melding of a little bit of AAA and indie type studios. Like I think maybe your studio is kind of an example now because, you know, you've, you've grown so much. So it's yeah, kind of. Yeah, at what point can you not be indie anymore? Like how many employees? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. You know, if your studio is bigger than three people or something, I think there's this weird expectation amongst gamers that the uh, production value be, you know, the same as, as Assassin's Creed or something. And exactly. I think that's really unrealistic. Um, and also, I mean, I think it's it's that space where you guys are at that, you know, 30 people or so making a game that's really interesting to me because you still can have a level of artistic control, I think, over a project that I find to be like really compelling. Um, I don't know. Is that important to you to feel like you guys have a, a lot of the reins of where this project is going and it's not so big that nobody really makes much of a contribution? <laughs> you know, I think that's a huge thing. For, for one thing, like for Soma, um, I think our corporate culture is is very familial. It's very, um, it's very flat. Like it's not hierarchical. <laughs> Everyone has an idea. Everyone's ideas are valued. And you just, that that's not possible. I, I don't know where the cutoff is, but somewhere a little bit mm -hmm. north of us, like that's just not a thing that can work. Um, but that's something we really value. So, so from a cultural, kind of a corporate culture perspective, everyone participates and and i can look at any one scene and i can be like oh yeah i know i know who made that asset i know who made that sound effect you know i know how how i we everyone knows what everyone did and it's really yeah. this cool symphony and that's one of the things i was saying like what i'm so proud of our team about is how much we coalesced into like a good working team that uh, that at first wasn't just a bunch of creatives who you know kind of throw everything at the wall and there's no scope control but also we're able to get mm -hmm. professional enough to to, to make decisions, to, you know, cut things that need to be cut. And so that's really cool. Um, but I wouldn't ever want to lose that. I, I don't want to be a 200 person studio. Um, and for us, that would be, I think that would, that would ruin what Soma is about. Um, and I, I guess maybe, maybe it's probably just honest to say, like, we always saw that gaming was kind of a means to an end in the sense that I think the Soma's mission is not specifically to make games. The, like we have a very apostolic, Mission. So going back to 2005, I felt like what God asked us to do was to kind of colonize and, 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 and infiltrate the game industry, which is uh, lots of people have said that, right? So I know that we're not new in that idea, but taking that mission from, from a long-term play, I don't think it's a product question. Like making a good mm -hmm. video game by Christians isn't going to change the world. Um, it's just not. But, but yeah. making thousands or at least hundreds of people who, who, who have that kind of like ethos um, that really could. There was a, there's this idea that it takes 10% of a culture to have an idea before that culture can change. I can't remember who said this, you know, one of these demographic people. And, uh, and when you realize Jesus, that, I think Jesus said that it could be Jesus. Yeah. I think <laughs> we, we like to talk in statistics. Mm -hmm. um, when you realize that like the whole game industry is like 50,000 people, like that's everybody. Then you think, 5,000 people is a workable number. Like we can reach that goal. Like I can, mm -hmm. I can reach 5,000 people. Um, and that's so different from people who want to change the movie industry where you'd have to change like a million people, right? right yeah. to, to make an impact. So anyways, that, I wonder if you could say like more about what you mean when you say you want to like colonize the games industry, because I think I know what you mean, but I also think there's this, um, segment of people who find that to be a really dirty word uh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know what so, i mean so i just want to give you the opportunity to say more <laughs> i appreciate that so i don't mean colonize sure. in the in, in the british empire sense i mean colonize in this sense of yeast uh like bacteria <laughs> so jesus talks yeah. about how you put a little bit of leaven right in a loaf of bread and it goes it, it does everything so for me the question for us is like we just want to get some ideas into the industry that can take root and grow on their own organically Mm -hmm. um, and, and so in that regard, it's not a question of like, this is kind of our version of Christian culture. It's rather like, what could things be that would be good for everybody? So, so it's really easy to pick up the crunch culture as an example. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. I think, and, and, and so and it's real, the complaint is real. Um, but on the other hand, it's, it's really easy just to complain. And what would it actually look like to have, to have a work environment and work practices and things that are both economically and spiritually and humanly possible. And you do it because you proved it. So, so for example, the, the, the idea like with, with crunch, partly it's, it's this notion of no one's against working hard and doing, I, I don't think that anyone's against overtime when you need to get something done, 
But when your expectation is that you're just constantly in overtime because you're driven by maybe it's a publisher, maybe it's these marketing deadlines. When mm-hmm. those things are driving people to lose their families, to you know, to to burn out in the industry, to divorce, mm-hmm. like like you've got to see the fruit of that's bad. And so so yeah. we we make a point here, like crunch is a non-starter. Um, and so we make some really deliberate practices that are designed not to be Christian, but to be healthy. Um, and so, and so every single person on our crew, so, uh, 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 as a piece of that, like just taking a day off. So like to use the Jesus word, it's Sabbath, right? But just take a break. Maybe that everybody has to do this because otherwise you, you fry. We have to make sure that not only do we do that as a principle and even when that's painful, because it's deadline time and and are you going to practice what you preach? Um, but also that from a place of authority, if you're a project manager or you're the boss, like you also have to make sure that the people under you not only are able to rest, but that they're expected to rest. Right. And sometimes intervene with someone because you get artists and creatives who are excited about what they do and they'll happily like fry themselves because they're passionate. (laughs) And so sometimes you have to be like, dude, it's time to go home. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, um, so that, that's a piece, but you know, the, the notion that we could, that we could set an example because we, we made this a business practice. We did it, like we practiced it and, and it actually saves us money. You just got to prove it. And then that can be the kind of idea that can colonize an industry because, because it's a good idea and good ideas bear fruit and spread. Yeah. yeah. That's a really sure. great clarification. And I think like that's a <clears throat> not about crunch specifically, but that's something that even with us, with Love Thy Nerd, from the beginning has been a conversation of like, how can we not only highlight the beautiful and wonderful things about nerd culture, but how can we also speak truth and hope into the areas that do suck? And, um, yeah, I love, I'm glad. What a great question, Drew, to have him clarify that. (laughs) Uh, Cause I think that was really valuable stuff in there. That's cool. Well, if you'd like, can I also, like, I think that I used the word, another word, infiltrate. Um, mm. and, uh, and so I, I choose that word because I, I've seen other Christian companies who really have a more militaristic, like they, they use, they would use more words like invade, right? Like we got to get in there. We got to bust some skulls. We got to change things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's just not like, we, we want to be invited in, you know, we want to make sure that whatever we're providing, whatever we're offering is because we're, is because we were invited to the table. Not because we forced our way to it, right? Yeah. Um, and so, in that regard, and, and there's another aspect to that is, uh, which you heard me speak to earlier, like this cannot ever, like what we're trying to do, could never be about Soma Games. It has to be about a hundred companies. It has to be about thousands of individual creators. And uh, and if we just happen to to kind of we take our stand on the line, but then also move people through our company so that they go start other ones or or get, get old, go off to Activision and Riot and everything else, but they sort of bring that, that same spirit of Christ with them, that's, mm. that's a better way to do it. Then yeah. that's, that's mm. grassroots, that's distributed, and then, you know. Well, to use a churchy word, that's discipleship. Yeah, right. exactly. And I think that's a way better path. Yeah, and I think, like, I don't know, there's, there's fear amongst people about th- – there's, there's some people that hear this conversation and go, like, um, sorry, but we don't want your Christian stuff in our um, sure. <laughs> in our game space or whatever. Um, maybe understandably, may- maybe not. But um, I think you know what you're saying is really compelling because it's there. There is a lot of um, what's dysfunction. I think maybe the right word in the games industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, cr- just go back to that example of crunch. It's I think it's a bigger problem in the games industry because there's so much competition. Like, yeah. you know, we talked to um, we talked to a guy recently who worked at Blizzard, and you know, if you if you decide you don't want to put in the time that is necessary to get, you know, the next um, there's not another StarCraft plan, but that I know <laughs> of. But let's just pretend they're working on StarCraft three. Like, if you don't want to put can, in the work, you there's, can dream, Drew. You can dream. There's yeah, there's like thousands of people that want that job yep. it's a really hard problem to fix and so mm-hmm. just well but it's you know, not um, see here, here's why that's a problem is because the industry is so product focused and they're not people mm-hmm. focused and so when you when you see this as a people question then it's not a hard problem to solve at all because i start investing in people because 
because of who they are, not because of what they can provide me. And this is as the, mm. as the owner, right? So most of yeah. our team here, we started here with, with no experience, but what they just, they, they sort of showed up and, and there was a, there was a culture match and then we want to train them and grow them and build them. And, and we want to make sure that they thrive as humans, not just, mm. can you get me the texture I guess fast as possible? Um, and, uh, and so that, that also like these things become interconnected. So I totally know what your, what your friend is saying, like that does seem to be the culture, but also the solve's not that hard. Like it's right at your hand. It's like, are you looking at product? Or are you looking at people? Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard when your bottom line is money. Yeah. I guess I was just trying to say, I think what you're talking about it is a, it's an example of how, and I don't know if, if our, like our non-Christian audience who's hearing this would agree, but I would hope they would like that it's not as scary as um, <laughs> as they might think. Like if we could take a, because I think what you're talking about is sort of a Christian view of 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 work. Um, it's not as it's not as uh, creepy as you might think. Like we would all benefit from taking a hard look at our understanding of work. Because how many how many companies really like have that mentality of like I'm not just going to invest in this product. Yes, this product has to do well, or our company may not, um, you know, may not may not be able to employ as many people, et cetera, et cetera. But like, my goal is to invest in you and to help you thrive. Like, that's that's a really beautiful idea that oh. um, we all need to give more thought to. I think there's a there's a there's a way of uh, Tim Keller talks about this a lot, but this idea of common grace, where where the, the notion is that you know the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, and 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 this, this whole basic idea is like, I think when Christian culture is done well, it's not it's not about the creepy stuff, which is like you got to do as I tell you to do, and these are the rules, and toe the line, or you're going to hell. Like it's not that. It's the thing that says like, it's the thing that says like, how can we make everybody flourish? You know what what's good mm-hmm. for everybody. And, uh, and then there, I think that everyone understands what unethical behavior looks like, right? Like exploitation, this kind of stuff. That's, that's pretty easy to call out. And you see a lot of people and a lot of Christian people, but not exclusively. So they're, they're happy to be ethical, right? Let's not exploit people, but there's a whole nother level, which, which uh, practice calls the practice labs. They call the redemptive frame. It's like, you go farther than that to make every aspect of what you're doing better, better for everybody. And almost always that represents mm-hmm. sacrifice. Um, you know, and that's going to be a, a less on your bottom line. It's going to be perhaps a, you know, smaller paychecks or whatever. But if you thrive on a, instead of being burned out, like everyone sees that that's a trade that's well worth it. Yeah. I think we have to do more work to, to like structure, like any Christian organization or whatever, there needs to be more thought given to how do we position this such that we're focused on human flourishing? You know, that because I think so often a lot of Christian art, a lot of Christian projects, a lot of Christian organizations end up seeing, seeming to be more about building, you know, their own, um, brand. <laughs> you know, their, their own little kingdom or their own brand yeah. or, or, um, you know, and, and I think we, we, we all need to step back and, and, think about the things you're talking about. Like, what yeah. does it look like to, to develop love thy nerd, for instance, How, what does it look like to build this organization such that we never lose focus of like helping other, li- other people's lives be better. That's what's why. helped you guys, Chris, like with Soma, um, you know, you've been around for a while. Like what's helped with keeping that kind of laser focus <clears throat> or have there been times where you've, you know, straight off the path, like what's helped in that? Yeah. So a, like, I think it's, it's fair to say that we have straight off the path. Um, I don't think in any really, <laughs> in any really horrible ways, but, uh, but one thing is like, like you, you want to identify some standards before they become tested. Like you never want to do that in the middle of it. Right. So, uh, so when someone comes to us and, and they want to spend a lot of money because they, they want to make a wet t-shirt game, um, just having a notion that says, you know what, I'm, I'm not interested. And, I, and, and in this case, in this case, like your money isn't, it's, I, I don't want it, right? Um, one of the very first things God told us, like one of the mission statements was, I need people who can't be bought. And uh, and you go into a space like this where, frankly, like there's a lot of opportunity for money. Um, and uh, there's also a lot of opportunity for poverty. But you still get to be like, you, you, you have to have those standards ahead of time. 
Um, but I would say on other times, um, we've been very distracted, especially just by how do you get, how do you keep the bills paid? And it's you take any gig you can. Um, and a true story, like we, we had a guy who, who wanted to build an app. This is really kind of when, when Soma Games was more just kind of pre-concept, like you're sort of working on things. And so we have this other side of our business that makes software for hire. And this guy wanted to make a, a, a bong app, right? A, a water bong app. And we're like, that would never, <laughs> I'm telling him, I was like, no, that would never get past Apple. It's like, they don't allow drugs. He's like, no, no, it's not for drugs. It's for tobacco. And, uh, and he's like, and anyways, like, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not worried about it. I just want to see it. And I, I confess at the time we were, we were like, I don't know, like maybe it is about tobacco right? and, and it, it's, it's good money. And I don't know, like, and, and, uh, and so you, you find yourself in these moments, but if you're not, if you don't have a framework at the time to say what you're willing to do and what you're not, then it just becomes tempting in the moment and you justify mm. everything. Um, mm. But to your bigger question, Chris, like what keeps us on track is we have to be really deliberate about a couple key things. And you only need to do a couple things well. Um, don't make it too complicated. So so for us, it was about what are the core values? And 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 they always can call you back to it, right? So for us, the idea of, of our, our family, like our corporate culture is a huge key value. And, and you have to invest in that, which means... In our case, like some of the easiest things is we have events, right? So that's a potluck here. It's a it's a Christmas party there. It's you know celebrating people's birthdays. It's just little things, but you make sure that those are actually non-negotiable, um, mm-hmm. and they're they're little tiny things that that someone's in charge of. You are the minister of birthdays, you know, Becky, and so you make sure that everyone finds out that they get cake on the <laughs> birthday. Um, and uh, and so if you do that, there's there's this idea of uh, sort of the long obedience in a single direction. And what was hard one year becomes normal the next year, which becomes habit in the third year. And uh, it's it's worth it's worth the repetition. Um, and I would I would say like that's that's probably the easiest thing is just set those goals up front, make little sacrifices to to make them real, and then just keep practicing them. Um, you know, we I think we have this bad habit in in sort of Christian study circles. Like it's the next thing, it's the next thing, it's the next thing. Did you read this book? Did you read this book? Did you do that study? Did you do that study? And we just consume this material. And it's good material, but but everyone's just kind of scraping the cheese off the top. And and it's it's rare that someone will stick with a book for say three years just to suck the marrow out of it. Um and I think that would that would be a, a good way to start. I love that yeah, man. That's some great like great advice about creating culture within a, like, you know, for anybody listening that's wanting to start something or, or you're already a boss or a manager of people or anything like that, like that's that everything you just said to me is people focused, you know, not product focused. Yeah. I hope so. I and probably a thing is that is you got to be correctable. And so Chris drew, like, as, as we get to know each other a little bit better, like <laughs> probably not on the podcast, but I would love for you to also correct us if you see that we are not living up to those standards. Oh, and I'm I, glad I mean you asked. that sincerely. I actually have a list here. <laughs> but I, I really mean that sincerely. Yeah. Like 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 it, it's important, I think, mm. especially as believers. Like we have to be willing to to point out the specs in one another's eyes. Um do it with love, do it with grace, but but I mean that. And uh, and we've had people come alongside like, you know, you say this, but it's not really working. And, uh, and it hurts when you hear it, but it's also truth, and, and that's good. It's Mo from the Back Row Morning Show, and I've got five random facts for you. Once the park closes for the night, feral cats prowl the streets of Disneyland, keeping the rodent population under control. Disneyland has been using them as pest control ever since feeding them and giving them medical care in addition to housing. Nearly 3% of the ice in Antarctic glaciers is penguin urine. Video games might slow down the aging process. In one study, just 10 hours of play led to increased cognitive functioning in participants 50 years and older, improvement that lasted for several years. The M's in M&M's stands for Mars and Murray, Forrest Mars and Bruce Murray, the two businessmen who created the candy-coated chocolates. And Donkey Kong Jr., the 1982 sequel to Donkey Kong, is the only video game where Mario officially stars as the villain. 
For more fun facts and hilarious nonsense, tune in to the Back Row Morning Show Monday through Thursday at 7 a.m. and again at 9 a.m. Central here on LTN Radio. So we always like to get a little bit personal on this podcast, and I realize we've um, we've done some of that, but we'd like to hear like your story. So obviously, um, you're a Christian because you've talked about that a good bit already. But uh, did you grow up in the church, or what was? Yeah, yeah where did you grow up? Like? Are you did you grow up in the Northwest? No, I grew up down in Southern California in a in a mountain town called Running Springs, and so oh. uh, that's right. So, we had this conversation it's by yeah. Big Bear. Big Bear, exactly. So if you go to Big Bear, you might stop for gas on the way to Rain Springs, but otherwise never notice it. Um, little tiny place, um, and uh, and uh, it was a beautiful place to grow up. Like I really, I really loved it. Are you a Are you a mountain guy? Like, like skiing, skiing. Love and that. And those those kinds you of grew things. up skiing where the Snow Valley was like a ten minute drive from my school, right? So like every day after school, and, and especially on, on weekdays. You just up there in two, three hours in the in the afternoon, evening, and it was it was awesome. That was a great place to grow up. Oh man, I'm not <laughs> jealous at all. Um, <laughs> my parents were both sort of like ex like ex Christians in the sense that they grew up in a church. Um, one of them was Catholic, one of them was Episcopalian, and and not that there was anything bad, but by the time they were adults, they were like, "There's just nothing here for us." Right? It's they mm. they experienced that as kind of dead. Mm at a club. And, and so they weren't really into it, but they weren't hostile either. So I grew up in this kind of place where mom and dad didn't do anything. They certainly didn't teach me anything. Um, but the language was sort of like embedded in little, in little places. Like, like every Easter when we visit grandma, you're mm-hmm. supposed to go to midnight mass every single Easter. You're supposed to go to midnight mass. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever does. Right? <laughs> so like, well, I, don't, I don't even know what that is. Um, yeah. But I just heard about it. So, so by the time, by the time I was in high school, I, I just, I, I really fancied myself an agnostic and, you know, and, and made fun of Christians because I was, you know, because you, you think you're smarter than them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, so that's where I would have put mm-hmm. myself. But, uh, but then also um, somewhere around my freshman, sophomore year, uh, long story short, is I got cast in a play, which took me away from the group of friends that I was with who really like we were starting to get into, into a lot of pot and, you know, and cocaine and every once in a while, something harder. Um, and I was kind of going down a different path. Um, but what this play did is one, um, uh, one night I was at a rehearsal and my buddy stole a boat and got arrested. And I had kind of a, a moment of, wow, I, that could have been me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that would have been bad. <laughs> um, and I sort of changed yeah. my friend circle at that point. Um, and the, and the drama geeks, there were a lot of Christians in there and they had cute girls at the youth group. So I started hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but really for me, my faith became real when I was in the Navy. Uh, so this is years later and, uh, and, and I'm out in the middle of the Pacific ocean staring at the stars. And I read everything on the ship's library from CS Lewis, which for the first time for me made a lot of sense because Lewis, Lewis addressed my biggest fear is that I didn't want to be a fool. Like I didn't, I, I just couldn't, you know, I could bear the thought hmm. that I would be an idiot. Um, and so Lewis gave me an intellectual framework. I'm like, oh, smart people can believe mm. in this too. Um, that's why I, that's why I can't yeah. understand C.S. Lewis at all. Makes sense. <laughs> this totally checks out. <laughs> different strokes for different folks, man. Yeah. Um, so he spoke to me in that regard. And, uh, and then next thing you know, like mm. I'm talking to God and he's talking back. And that, that's how it all started. Was there a particular book uh, by Lewis that sort of like helped reframe things for you? Like, like totally, totally blew the doors open. Um, everything, everything past that, I loved. Like, Great Divorce is still probably my favorite, but it was Mere Christianity that opened the door, mm. and and everything else was yeah. was follow on. So you're you're in the Navy and you're reading C.S. Lewis and um, like what? I guess you came back and got. Or, or during that time, that's when you kind of got yeah. serious about your yeah. faith. And- um, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Like for me, so much of, of my experience with God was feeling, uh, for lack of a better word, kind of the romance of it. In fact, if you've ever read Sacred Romance, this is this mm. is a great story. Because God really was wooing me through beauty at that time. And stuff that, there's this time when I'm, 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 I'm working the night shift. And so I get off my shift and it's sunrise. And we're, we're in the middle of the sea. And there's this other ship right next to us, and it's it's basically a refueling ship. And so he's right next to us, and there's these big pipes strung between the two ships, and they're transferring fuel and whatever else they do. 
And, uh, and so there's probably 50 yards between the ships, maybe not even that much. And these pipes are kind of dipping into the water. They're kind of these slung like garlands. And I'm looking out on the hangar bay to the sunrise and it's just breathtaking. Um, if you've never been out in the blue water, there's nothing like it. It's, it's incredible. But this is even more incredible. It's this gorgeous morning. And off in the sunrise, you see these porpoise, like this big school or pod or whatever they're called, of porpoise. And they're all dancing, having a good time. And next thing you know, they all decide to change like a flock of birds. They all change course at once. And they decide they're going to come between the ships and thread the needle. And so this huge pod just comes, narrows down to this little gap and starts jumping over the pipes. And they're like spinning and flipping and clicking. And all these people are watching like, this cannot be real. Like, this is so gorgeous, just the, 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 mm-hmm. the beauty of it and the sunrise and the salt spray. It was just this overwhelming sense of where your heart is pierced by the beauty of it. And that was one of the moments where I just felt God's arms around me so strongly. There was such a sense of love and, and not, just, not just me, but like the whole world, you know. And it was, it was a powerful moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were lots of moments like that, especially on that Westpac, that, that – Beauty has become a central aspect of how I experience him. And, uh, and probably th- that, that's also one of the core values for Soma that I brought into. It's like, this has to be about beauty. I think that beauty has its own, its own way of ministering to the world that's even deeper than love. Um, so I guess that's, that's where things got real for me. Um, I come home, you know, I have to move out from my living girlfriend and, and kind of change a bunch of other things in my life. But that brought me to the Northwest. And, uh, and, and that's, that's kind of where I settled down. The next really big change for me was when I read a book called Wild at Heart, um, which at the time was just perfectly timed for where I was in my story. And what Wild at Heart did for me is it spoke to a different question. Like if, if one question for me was like, is God real? There's a second question that's something like, where do I fit in all this? And, and Wild at Heart gave me a language and a, and a purpose that I, that I was missing. Um, and that was another huge catalytic event for me. Um, that's what got me involved with ministry. And really, it was just a couple of weeks after I went to this uh, boot camp event where the whole story with Soma happened. Um, and the, in my mind, these are very closely linked. Like the, the event prepared me to hear God invite me on an adventure. Um, and he did. And here we are. I think that's something that that I I, I resonate with, too. And uh, like a really um, powerful piece of C.S. Lewis's writings in, in my life are uh, the sermon he preached called um, The Weight of Glory. So there's this part in there where he talks about human beings being a real ingredient in the divine happiness that I think has just always kind of stuck with me. I think I there was there have been times in my, um, in my life where I've had to like grapple with this feeling like, um, like Christianity was really formulaic and very... Um, kind of dry it's about like believing the right things about god but i'm not sure i'm not like like i think god loves me probably (laughs) but i'm not sure that like like it could be easy to in some christian circles i think to feel like god just kind of tolerates us you know um and uh and that that sermon sort of was uh really corrected that sort of fear that god basically just puts up with me um, because the whole point, uh, a, bi- a big point of that sermon is that that um, and God's actually pr- pretty passionate about us and and pretty devoted to us. And um, you know, if if that's true of the gospel, then that's um, that's a lot more exciting <laughs> and a lot more um, like motivating for me to get serious about my faith um, than than this idea of like, well. You're exactly. okay. I'll put up with you. <laughs> I guess my son <laughs> died, know. so I got to do this. Relate to that, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so what? Uh, where are you? You're uh, married and you have uh, kids. Is that yes. right? Where? What? So, what's, uh, where so are you? At? Full disclosure, even for your Christian audience, I'm actually uh, remarried. So uh, I was married for 15 years. Okay. Um, had yeah. two kids, um, uh, Odin and Athena. So I think it was important for a Christian to name his kids after pagan gods, but that's a different mm. thought. Um, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So uh, I was actually divorced about five years ago and, uh, and then remarried about two mm-hmm. years ago. Um, and so so that's where I am now. Um, wow. Odin and Athena are yeah. uh, just starting high school and middle school. And, uh, and Samantha is, is, my, is my bride and 
the, there's my story. That's where I am. Was there, um, you don't have to answer, but with the divorce stuff, like was there, it's a stigma thing in Christian culture and certain Christian cultures, right? Like, did you have a lot of blowback from that? Definitely some. And, uh, Mm. and it's, I don't mind talking about it. So, uh, I, I think for a lot of years, for, for a lot of years, for a few years, I, I didn't know how to talk about it. Not because I was unwilling, but there was, there's a place where I don't want to cast any shade. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to sort of like take ownership for stuff that's not mine. And so there's this middle ground that I it's had, a, had a hard time for me to figure out just how to talk to about with respect and honesty uh, at the same time. So, so long story short, yes, I have had some, some blowback, but you know, I don't think nearly as much as you might expect. Um, the truth of the matter is that divorce is so common in the church now. It's just stigma or not, there's too many people who've done it. There's too many yeah. people who've been through it. And so mm-hmm. you can't stigmatize half the church, right? You just can't. Right. There's just too many of us. So yeah, I would tithing. say, yeah. <laughs> so it's so in that regard, I would say probably if anything that was uh, that, that was an issue is that there wasn't a lot of understanding in the sense like, I don't know what to do with you. Like, I don't condemn mm-hmm. you, but I don't know what to do with you. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, everyone would tell stories like you just can't help for people who, who wind up sort of taking sides. Um, and that's, that's a shame. But on the other hand, I, yeah. on the other hand, I have a, a lot of sympathy for that. It's like, okay, if you're friends with both of us, it, you, it, it would be really, really hard to continue to be friends with both of us because it's a sensitive topic. And I, I recognize that like it, it's a, yeah. it's a gnarly spot. Uh, but some people handled it better than others. So I definitely got hurt, um, I, I would say. But I also had some really great support. Um, and uh, probably the best thing that I did in that season was to give myself permission to be pissed off and to grieve and to be angry and hurt and sad. And they all came out in whatever order kind of they just felt needed to happen. <laughs> and uh, I, I spent... You know, I spend a lot of time just staring at the wall, being being sad. Especially when your kids go go back to your ex wife's house and you're you're alone. That's really a, a mm-hmm. that's a bitter time. So, but I'm not yeah. afraid of my story. So I'm not afraid to talk about it. I'm not I'm not shy about it. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm happy to ask. No, and I'm glad you did, Chris. And I'm glad you you brought it up because I do think there's this weird in some uh some segments of of Christianity or evangelicalism or whatever that's like when anybody talks about divorce that we get this weird uh like almost a almost people have been like trained to try and be like okay well let's figure out which one yeah, of you is wrong exactly. in this situation uh and and let's you know let's see if if this was a a legitimate quote unquote divorce and blah 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 um i definitely had those kind of conversations in seminary and then when I actually met people who were going through divorce, I realized those were really unhelpful exactly. conversations, <laughs> you know. Uh, and 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 what people need who who are going through that is is support and love and, um, you know, it's like you said. It I, I have some really close friends that have gone gone through it, and um, what they needed from me in those moments was like a good friend uh, who would be around and make them feel a little bit less lonely. Um, Cause it's super yeah. isolating, uh, super isolating thing to go through. And, um, yeah. So I appreciate yeah, your, for sure. um, yeah, yeah, forthrightness yeah. about it. Yeah. So, uh, we're almost out of time here, but, um, what are you most excited about, uh, going forward with, with Soma and, yeah, and life um, in general? Probably the thing I'm most excited about now is, 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 as I mentioned earlier, like we are at this pivot point where, um, we're, we're, We've got these products, and now we need to sell them, and that's that's frankly a whole new season for us. And so we're we're looking at a couple things business wise that that I don't know what's the best choice. If we may want a publisher, we may want mm. a, 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 a a marketing partner. Like we we're looking at things. In fact, we're we're starting a, a fundraising round here to try to figure out like what's the best path for for selling these products out to market. But then apart from that, it's also We've been working on Redwall a long time, and as much as I've loved it, it'd be nice to do something else. Um, and so there's there's our own IP that that we we'd love to start working on, whether that's just the storylines or whatever else. And one of my favorite sto- stories right now that that I've been playing with is that there's this there's this old story about Saint Patrick, who he goes to this tribe and he's trying to tell them about Jesus, and uh, and they they mock him and they make fun of him, and and they're they're so noisy that it, he compares them to wolves, like they're just howling at him. 
And so Patrick's like, screw y'all. Now y'all are going to be werewolves for the rest of your life. And there's a story that he turns all these kind of people into werewolves. And regardless of anything else, just that idea, like St. Patrick turned these people into werewolves, that's a great story scene. <laughs> I really think that'd be a fun story to explore. Yeah, that's great. Um, especially because, you know, here's one of the things that, that uh, we, we look at. I think if, uh, there's very, very few examples of where good people are also powerful and scary. Right. And so your kids often, they want to be Darth Vader because he's powerful. They don't understand really kind of what's going on with, with the, now, frankly, Star Wars has done a better job of this than most, but, uh, but the idea that goodness isn't portrayed as, as powerful as, as, as like, that's a really neat thought that I think is very under, underplayed right now. So I, I just think that'd be a fun story to see a St. Patrick who's a total badass you know, like, like sort of wielding the sword of God with vengeance. I don't know. There's something in there that I want to explore without it being, you know, I'm not to make it gruesome or something, but uh, there's just something there I really want to explore. Sounds pretty rad to Thanks. me. Let's do it. I mean, together, you can hire me and <laughs> you Chris will help you make it. <laughs> so if people want to follow what you guys are up to with Soma and, and you personally, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. The best thing is, uh, is on the Facebook page for Redwall right now. Like that's our most active place. Um, I think as as uh, as that you'll you'll link through there probably to the Soma Games Facebook. We do have a website, but like most websites now, it's it's just hygiene. Right, everyone needs a website because you're supposed to have it. But the truth is, we're not very active there. Um, so Facebook is where you're going to see us the most. Um, and then connected to that is we really try to share what we've learned along the way through uh, basically through through some a podcast that we do. Uh, in fact, I interviewed you guys recently, um, and right. uh, and uh, and so that's if you want to go to Soma Soul Works, that's kind of our, for lack of a better word, that's our ministry angle, and uh, that's where you can see what we're up to. Well, uh, it was great, great chatting with you, Chris. This was a, a really fruitful conversation, I feel like, and uh, really excited about uh, checking out Redwall and and your future work as well. So, 